Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, wrong, unnecessary and heavy-handed, that's what the Treasurer has labelled Facebook's restriction of all news pages as the fight between the federal government and the tech giant grows. Regulators around the world are watching this. So are news publishers, so are lawmakers. All eyes are on Australia right now because of this uh, proposed new media bargaining code. The Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has told Facebook his government will not be intimidated after the social media giant blocked Australian users from sharing or viewing news content. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James and I thought I'll just jump on randomly on a Friday afternoon, hit record, have a chat with Natasha Gillizzo. She's a journalist, uh, marketing, media, all that online stuff at the Australian Financial Review. G'day Natasha, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on your um, glorious podcast. I've listened to many an episode, so it's nice to come on as a guest. Yeah, that's awesome. And at such short notice. So, I wanted to jump on and have a chat. Uh, There's been a lot of activity in the media on Facebook about Facebook turning around and basically banning a whole heap of uh, big media websites and pages from their platform and smaller news outlets. I mean, there's been other government agencies that have been caught in the crossfire. Now, this hasn't happened overnight, and I wanted to just maybe chat with somebody who can explain how we got to that decision yesterday, uh, because Google were in negotiations with the government about the proposed media code, which hasn't even passed uh, parliament yet. It's still being talked about. And I thought I'll yeah, chat with someone who's all over this. So, Natasha, can you maybe set the lay of the land on what this media code is, how it came about, and was Rupert Murdoch really involved? No, joking, but probably not joking. Uh, so, talk to us about the history of where we're at. Totally. I mean, the the collision point that we had yesterday on Thursday when people woke up and the 84% of Australians who go on Facebook at least once a month uh, suddenly were faced with a bit of a barren desert of... Uh, Uh, less content than they were used to, really was just kind of a flashpoint at the end of a long, long journey. So the news media bargaining code, basically uh, a couple of years back, our treasurer, Joshua Frydenberg, asked the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, which is basically like the regulator involved for making sure capitalism kind of works and no one gets too ripped off or too exploited, um, asked the chairman, Rod Sims, and, you know, his group of staff at the ACCC to look into the power that US tech firms like Google, like Facebook, had in the Mm. marketplace. And um, there was a bunch of issues that Frydenberg and the government asked the ACCC to look into, but, but one of them was kind of the relationship between these tech firms and journalism and the future flourishing of journalism in in Australia. From that, the ACCC came back and said, uh, put together a piece of legislation, which is what is now being called the News Media Bargaining Code. And 
to be honest, it's pretty complicated. I have read it um, and I, I, I did actually study law and I'm not sure that I fully understand how every element would work in practice. So wow. it makes total sense that the cut through for um, the average person who hasn't been following this might not fully be there. But the gist of the news media bargaining code is that it sets out a way that Google and Facebook should negotiate with local news media companies, which have a revenue or a turnover, which is how much money they, they earn in a year, of a, above a certain threshold. Now, the ABC and SBS are also included in the code as well. They're not commercially driven organisations, but they are huge news media organisations in, in Australia. Mm. So, the code is about setting out a way to say, look, there's a problem here. And the solution that we think that there is, is to sort of set out the way you two need to contract with one another. And Google and Facebook are meant to be bound by this code and meant to, uh, I guess, sort of negotiate in good faith with the, the companies to which it applies, like Channel 9, which is the publisher of the Australian Financial Review, like News Corp, uh, like Seven West Media and, and, and others. And how it will work in practice, there's a few other elements to the code. Like, for example, there's this idea in the code, which is been a point of controversy that people aren't sure whether this is a good idea or not, mm. that Facebook and Google should also not just uh, agree to make certain payments to news media companies, but should also give them a heads up if they're going to change the algorithm. Uh, if you work at a news media organization, you kind of tailor your content strategy to how the algorithm works, whether it's on Google search or yeah, you know, wow. on Facebook newsfeed. That was one of the that is in the legislation. That's sort of a point of contestation as well as this kind of revenue sharing aspect. So, yeah, and that's what's before Parliament at the moment and uh, hasn't been passed through the Senate. But overall, it has pretty broad support from our both the coalition, the Liberals and the Nats and yeah. Labor, which is kind of unusual for a piece of legislation in Australia. Yeah, and just like chatting with friends and people uh, just over the last couple of days, I basically said, look, we know that this is a huge government mandate and it's it's come from somewhere and, you know, the conspiracy theorists would probably say, and they're probably not that crazy on this, that the big, big media, you know, who basically like being close to governments of any persuasion have tapped the government on the shoulder and said, hey, we're losing revenue uh, because the algorithms are screwing us. Can you do something about it? But all that aside, I, I've kind of thought, well, it's it's almost like it's not a liberal versus labor thing. It's because, you know, I haven't heard uh, Albo on the news or Chris Bowen uh, do a statement to say they're against this. I mean, they'll, they'll politicize it and say, oh, they, the government have stopped this, they need to fix it. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. It's got broad support as it stands. Yeah, I think that's for a couple of reasons. One, I think one of the premises of the code, and this is not about my opinion on whether it's the best form of government intervention or the best economic model to do that. But one of the premises is this idea that there's something good and important in society about having access to good quality information that's put mm. together by people who are trained in that. That overall kind of, uh, you know, a rising tide like lifts all boats kind of argument that if we have good quality information and sort of like a truth-seeking kind of uh, approach to verifying, uh, verifying information and claims, overall that kind of raises just, uh, you know, whether that's the mm. quality of society, like economically, socially, health-wise, all that kind of stuff. A simple example would be most people would agree that it's better to get accurate updates about where COVID-19 is spreading, if it is in the community or not, versus someone's theory about that, right? Like, it's sort of like we kind of accept there's certain examples where I think just 
we just want the facts, you know, and we just want information. Now, that's not all of what journalism is. Absolutely not. A lot of it is hot takes or opinion or whatever. Mm. But at its core, that's kind of the premise of the code is, is one of the philosophical underpinnings. Is there something kind of good about preserving that for yeah. a liberal democracy like Australia? I mean, I this is the, the whole thing. Like, I can kind of see two sides of the coin, but on the one extreme where Facebook, you know, pretty much blindsided the government to, um, to like negotiations and just turned the tap off yesterday. You know, if they actually half cared, they would like I had a notice at the top of my Facebook yesterday that said, look, the way you're seeing uh, news is changing, click here. Why don't they bloody say, oh, by the way, uh, we know that COVID is an important issue in society at the moment. Please go to this Australian government website for the absolute up-to-date information. Totally. It was a very blunt and botched rollout. And, um, you know, it, Facebook has a certain, you know, level of rights to take corporate actions that it deems necessary to protect its own self-interest. So mm. I totally get that side of things. But I think the way that it played out, the fact that they didn't give the ACCC the heads up, the ACCC found out the way that every Australian mm. found out by logging into their Facebook and had to call people in the middle of the night. The lack of warning is sort of a a bit of a breach of trust both in the negotiation process uh, yeah. but, you know, um, just in the relationship generally with, with Australians. And I think the fact that another sort of element to where there's a bit of hypocrisy here or a bit of concerns is that Facebook's chief executive, Mark Zuckerberg, over the years has been very consistent in a sort of quite a consistent defender of free speech on his platform, right? And he's made some really good points. He sort of said, well, you know, in general free speech is a good thing and it ought to be protected. Um, secondarily from that, I don't think that private companies should arbitrate on what kind of speech is good and what kind of speech is bad. And that's sort of related to everything from conspiracy theory groups, which, you know, Facebook do regulate and they do deal with that content, to more sort of the hate speech end of the spectrum. But he's had this kind of values-driven approach to free speech. So it's pretty interesting for him to turn around and in a really obvious way, suppress huge swathes of speech across the platform, right? Mm. Like to take down pages is totally counter to that whole philosophy that he's espoused um, when asked why he hasn't removed other forms of content off the platform, Yeah, which is just kind of an interesting point in terms of, I guess, the sort of credibility of like that kind of uh, credibility of the leadership. I think that's not necessarily a point that the average user would care about. I think the average user cares about the utility of how they can use the platform and whether the experience is good or bad. And I yeah. still think the Facebook experience can be good, but it's another limb to this, which is just kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. And it's it's wild because I actually, I put on uh, LinkedIn, I think this morning or last night that um, if there's one thing that might come out of this is maybe some better journalism and not clickbait crap that gets me to click and moves me to their website that's full of ads. And I honestly think that like I can kind of see the Facebook side of it because at the date of recording this, it's the 20th, it's Friday, the 20th of February. Yeah. It's what I think we started at one thirty PM. So just timestamping what, when we're chatting now, but you look at it from Facebook side, you allow these companies onto your platform for free Yep. They're getting traffic from your platform and they're yep. making money from ads due to their links off the platform, right? So, mm. Facebook are like, oh, and you want us to pay for that more? Like, they're, they're coming to a free service and 
getting customers off our, our platform and you're making money from ads because the majority of news pages on Facebook don't spend uh, money on ads. So I can kind of see it from that side of the angle uh, in terms of, I don't know, this is a, a public run company that's, you know, it's a big corporate and we've got a board and blah, blah, blah. And Australia is such a small market. But what's his name? ScoMo came out today and said, I would just say to Facebook, this is Australia. You want to do business here? You work according to our rules. And that's a reasonable proposition. We're happy to listen to them. So it's very interesting. And I thought it was actually, you know, just from a, a funny human point of view, when Google came out and said, yeah, we'll turn off Google in Australia. I was like, please, that will never happen in like, that's nice. But I kind of think it's funny how Facebook's like, all right, no, see, yeah, we, we'll turn it off. Like, that's all good. Like, we're not going to be threatened by a population of under 30 million people when there's that many people in greater LA. Like, so it, it is complex. And my view is, you know, I subscribe, I subscribe to AFR. So I know I get news that I'm interested in uh, and it's quality and all that stuff on the app. And I go to the ABC app or the SBS app uh, because I don't love ads and I know they're a part of life. Interesting. So you're a big app user. I'm hearing a lot more about people getting their news from apps and I feel like I'm behind the eight ball. I'm like, are you guys all getting your news from apps? So I really want to kind of get into this app news economy. Um, maybe I'll get around it too. I normally read on laptop or desktop or flick through on the news sites on my phone, but mm. you're like the third person this week to say, you know, Tash, like get on these news apps. They're great. So I think some of them are better than others, right? But Totally. Uh, well, I actually get most of my news on Twitter uh, because I actually follow journalists from, you know, the right side of politics, the left side of politics. So I followed like a, a span of different journalists. So I get a real balanced view of what's actually happening and I can make my own judgment. Uh, but yeah, so my view is uh, I don't heaps care. I'll, I don't need Facebook for my news. And, you know, a lot of the stuff on there is just clickbaity news anyway. And it's kind of annoying that it's heading that way. I mean, like the ABC now, like, there's a lot of good journalists out there, but like public broadcaster, they're writing clickbait titles. Like absolutely, Margaret just wanted one thing from her insurance policy. Uh, and it's like, oh, interesting. Rather than Margaret's claim denied or, you know what I mean? Like, so the ABC are playing this clickbait game. Well, regardless of the institution, it's like, I always love that Charlie Munger quote, right? If you show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome. Yeah. And it's so true in terms of over time how institutions and organizations go and develop and you can really see that well okay if journalists are driven by pleasing their readers and their readers being like hey that was a great story that's a different set of incentives to play to than seeing the clicks come in on a screen mm. or driving up the number of your social referred traffic and you know the, the fact of the matter is there's always multiple incentives at play yeah. um and that's what makes you know it's so interesting from all different angles but you totally nailing that point around is clicks or is referring someone away from a platform to a site a perverse incentive for what we want journalism to do and achieve now i don't know but definitely it could be so we could have some like positive upside from this in terms of how it changes the incentives for how you know stories are put together how people consume consume those stories but that's all good in theory the main thing is we want people to read the news and uh, pay for it. To me, it's almost business 101 in terms of, you know, I'm not above this. We've got a My Millennial Money Facebook group where we get 
uh, involved with people and we have been for the last year kind of researching a, our own platform for the people who really want to just be engaged in that only uh, mm. to build your business on top of something you can't control. So I think that's a big deal. And I honestly don't think, and you know, everyone will have a view on this and half the people listening will disagree with me and half will agree. And I don't care because I actually don't know what I'm talking about anyway. So you're probably right. Uh, but I mean, the smaller independent publishers probably won't be affected if, you know, all this stuff is put to bed uh, because of the uh, revenue thresholds in the code. Uh, but it, it, one thing I heard a, an interview this morning on um, ABC Sydney 702. Yeah. And uh, the British dude over there, he was like, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, we don't agree with what the Australian government is doing, you know, as hard as that. But on their Facebook, they've got a news tab. So maybe it might be uh, if you want to put your content in that news tab on Facebook, uh, you pay. Because at the end of the day, Facebook is a business and we all talk about ethical investing and all that. And if you put BHP and Facebook as a company and you know choose one that's more ethical, I know which one I'm choosing. And it's not a little logo with an F on it. So yeah, it's actually just, I think it's a reality check, uh, Natasha, of... You know, we t use this stuff every day, but at the end of the day, there's a dollar to be made by a corporate entity. For sure, for sure. I mean, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But again, going back to how businesses, uh, you know, businesses think and businesses grow, um, mm. it depends what outcomes they're performing to. Like, for example, the other day I interviewed the chief executive of Hinge, right, which is a really popular dating app. Oh, yep. And he said to me, uh, okay, when we first started, um, we want to just users, user growth, user retention, people to get on the app, but get on the app. Mm. And he had this kind of moment in 2016 where he's like, well, I'm kind of getting my engineers to build an app that really just gets people on the app and gets people swiping. But does it actually help them get into a meaningful relationship? Or if not, the, uh, you know, that's quite a high bar, but get them out on great dates. And in 2016, he scrapped the product, scrapped the app entirely, told his engineers, you'll no longer be measured on how many matches and swipes or growth hacking, basically. The metric I care about is how many users get out on great dates with people they connected with. Mm -hmm. And by changing what the business was geared towards, it changed what the product was, like what the app actually was, how it looked. It, you know, the app itself went from a binary yes, no swipe to Justin McLeod, the CEO, was telling me it, it, it slowed the user down and they had to like a specific comment or respond to a specific photo. Mm. It's still a business. It's yeah. still, it, was a, it was a dating app back then. It's a dating app now. And it's doing a lot better now because the CEO and the founder changed what the metrics were. And, you know, those are both related to making money and there is a dollar to be made. But when we talk about kind of the a dollar to be made in kind of really blunt terms, it can sometimes sound like there's only one way to make that dollar but yeah. there's a lot of ways to make that dollar. And you can, depending on what you're kind of what game you're playing is sort of how good the social outcomes are not are going to be yeah. on that journey to making that dollar. And I, I just think the whole thing's interesting because we're in uncharted waters. And I know, I reckon um, the PM, I know he's talked with the Prime Minister of India. I mean, they'll be talking to Prime Ministers and Treasurers all over the world uh, because this is, Australia is the canary in the coal mine with what happens here and Absolutely. it's just fascinating and actually I put in the in our Facebook group a little poll up and just before I jumped on the phone with you Natasha I basically asked uh, pure 
regardless of all the um, the flow on stuff, like either side of the debate, I said, do you care if your news is no longer on Facebook? 70% of respondents said they don't care that it's not on Facebook. Interesting. So, yeah, like, so me personally, Glenn James, just as a user of Facebook, don't care. Glenn James, who cares about small businesses that want to be on a, you know, a public, well, it's not really public platform, but on Facebook, you know, everyone's got it. Yeah, it probably sucks if they've got a smaller company that's being thrown out in the bathwater. But, you know, it's interesting for me, if I can uh, continue my rant or chat, you know, I'm building a podcast and it's distributed on mainly Apple and Spotify. Yeah, that's the sort of duopoly in that podcast aspect. And yeah. it's weird, like, you know, Spotify could turn around tomorrow and say, Glenn, you said something bad, so we're ditching your show. Um, or, Glenn, you want this show on Spotify, you've now got to pay. So I'm building a business, you know, on a lot of stuff that I can't control, but I'll control what I can. And that is, we're going to make sure we do good content. We're going to make sure that it's available in many places. If it came to the point where Spotify said, or Apple, uh, Glenn, you need to pay us money to have your show distributed. Well, it then comes down to business 101. Uh, Am I paying more than I'm getting in return? That's true. That's true. However, I think in your business 101 class, um, one of the things you learn about what makes capitalism legitimate or not is the presence of healthy competition. Because there are these concerns that, you know, and the kind of contract that Adam Smith, when, you know, the founding father of capitalism, he was, you know, very pro-free market, all that kind of sort of setup and very pro-business, right? But he said, you know, that I do have certain limits to this. And one of those limits is that there has to be competition so you don't get a situation where you have this kind of feudal overlords, which have existed across history, right? There's been people who've had monopolies in history. They were the one guy who collected tax, the one person who owned all the Mm. agricultural lots or whatever, what they said went. And that competition question, you know, are there viable alternatives? How much say do you, being tied to the Apple or Spotify app, really have? You know, what's the power imbalance there? And I think I'm pretty pro, like, uh, in general, I think, you know, people need to uh, hand ring less and be prepared to adapt, improvise and overcome. Like, for example, I love that you embrace new media, you embrace online, you're like, let's meet people where they're at and get on with it, right? Mm. I think you that attitude shines through in what you've created here. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I think there is kind of definitely these questions about kind of the the breadth and scope of these private tech firms and that they have more members and users than even the Catholic Church had at the height of its power, right? Like two billion users. That's mm. it's so interesting that they've grown to to such a such a girth. And and get this, I I read um, Spotify's annual revenue is sixty percent of Australia's GDP. Well, there you go. Or something like that. I think that makes sense. Like, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I I didn't know that. But yeah, so that's, it's just um, like fascinating. Yeah, so I mean, it's very interesting. This conversation isn't to solve anything. <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be hard pressed to do that. <laughs> uh, if you disagree with me, awesome. I am probably wrong. I'll, you know, I can't really hang my hat on any of my views because I don't know enough about this media code. I'm just thinking it, uh, thinking about it from just a dude who's uh, sitting in his garage uh, at Blue Bay on the Central Coast. But yeah, any final words, Natasha, about... Um, Anything that's happening with the um, with this whole Facebook thing and Google and the media code? 
I mean, I just think Facebook and Google have provided so many benefits and such useful services and built such cool, interesting things and changed changed our world and how we interact with our world. And I just find that so undeniable. However, I think in general, we're at such an interesting time for how information is distributed, how we connect with one another. And if anything, even this moment can be a moment for people to kind of pause and reflect and think, okay, how do we want to build communities? Mm. What kind of news do I think should sh- survive and what, what shouldn't survive? And just thinking about our online ecosystem more broadly, what's working, what isn't working. I know those are kind of deep, big questions, but when something like this happens, like a quite seismic shock to how, you know, Facebook was one thing on Wednesday, Facebook uh, is now a different thing come Thursday in Australia. It's yeah. sort of a good opportunity in the same way that going through a pandemic together is a good opportunity, going through this together as social media users is a good opportunity to reflect on what we want to take forward and what we want to leave behind. Yeah, totally. It's funny. I Last year, I actually trademarked the name My Millennial Money News because I had in the back of my mind, and I, I didn't pull the trigger yet because I don't want to put the pressure on my team, is to do a weekly money news wrap-up podcast. And... Mm. That could be cool. I think there'll be there'll be there'll be a vacuum for that. Ask your boss if you can do it. I'm looking for like a switched on journalist. Will I get paid? If we make money from it, absolutely. Let's chat. Let's chat. So, yeah, because <laughs> I, I I just you know like the whole my millennial money thing. You know, I want to create a platform for talented people to deliver quality content to the mm. my millennial cult uh, that we've got. And yeah, and it's funny. I think even. And we will chat offline about that. But um, I even think the um, Facebook's past the tipping point of cool and everyone uses it. Like I deleted the app on my phone because I don't care for it. I, like I've only got it for the My Millennial Money Facebook group and it's only on my web browser. Like sure. I, I'm having a February off Instagram. Like I don't, it's been great. I, 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 it took maybe a couple of days to get over that dopamine uh, withdrawal symptom from checking notifications on my phone. But I mean, it's great. If my friends want me or if anyone wants me, call me. I think Facebook, it's it's a playground now that isn't what it once was. And yeah, it's very interesting. But I might get this episode up to Nathan to edit to get it out this afternoon. But Natasha, thank you so much for having a chat on My Millennial Money. Oh, Glenn, thank you so much for having me. An absolute pleasure to be a guest here and get to talk about this issue with you. Not a problem. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.